Something rare, shocking happened on CNN this week. They told the truth. Specifically, Chris Cuomo admitted that his network are just a bunch of left-wing hacks who cover Republicans very differently than Democrats. The news continues right now. I want to hand it over to Chris for Cuomo Primetime. Chris? State TV's got some new competition, Anderson. It's going to be very interesting uh, to see how the narrative unfolds. You know, for people like us, we do the job uh, based on who's in power. Uh, but this is going to be very interesting. You notice what Langford said there, how the media, not this network, mm. is playing his words, which were he would get involved. And now he isn't, and we know why he has no good reason. They do the job based on who is in power. That was a Freudian slip where you say one thing but mean your mother. I think he meant to say regardless of who's in power, but that's not what came out and that's not what would be true. He refers to Fox News as state TV, meaning it supports the Trump administration. Fox News was the first news outlet to start calling this election against Donald Trump for Joe Biden. None of what Chris was saying is true other than his admission that he covers people differently, but it's not just CNN, it's the entire establishment media. They themselves are the state TV. They themselves are the permanent state. And breaking up those norms is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show. That is the dirty little secret that for the past several generations, the left has always been in power, not just for four years or eight years, and then you win and then you lose. No, the left has been in power regardless of who wins elections for the past several generations. And one of the ways they take power is pretending that the right is in power. Chris Cuomo comes out and he says, oh yeah, state TV, you know, is that's the, those are the conservative outlets. They support the state, the power. You're the power, Chris. CNN is the power. Donald Trump has no power compared to that liberal establishment that's been trying to snuff him out since day one. My favorite comment from yesterday from Tasmanian Devil, they're not attacking femininity as much, or they are attacking femininity rather, as much if not more as masculinity. It's so easy to be a woman, just put on a dress. That's what the left is saying. You know, Candace Owens uh, got in a lot of trouble yesterday. We covered it on the show because Candace said that uh, men shouldn't wear dresses. I know that's a very controversial thing to say these days. But it's not just that the left is attacking masculinity in that way. You're absolutely right. The left is also attacking femininity. When you attack sexual difference or gender difference, whatever term you want, you're not just attacking one of the sexes, you're attacking both of them. And you're creating a caricature. You create a caricature of men, which the left has already been doing for decades and decades. Call it uh, Homer Simpson syndrome or Ray Romano syndrome. The idea that men are just doofuses, idiots. They can't do anything. You know, they need to be led around by the hand by their brilliant, flawless wives. So you attack the men, but you're also attacking the women because you're saying, yeah, if you put on a dress, then you've become a slap on some lipstick and then you've become a woman. It's a caricature. That's why we said yesterday, the reason that drag is funny or can be funny is because it's, it's so wrong. It's so off. We know that it's incongruous. We know that someone isn't really a woman if he's a man who puts on a dress. The minute that you start to take that seriously, all of a sudden, it isn't funny at all. But the, the left, which is the ruling established apparatus, they are the ones who are 
determining these things. They are the ones who are setting the standards and the norms. And the left accuses the right of breaking norms. They accuse Trump of breaking norms. But those norms, those liberal norms that we've had for decade after decade after decade, aren't serving us very well. And, and they are the ruling power. I'll give you an example. The Daily Beast, this guy from the Daily Beast, MSNBC, he just pointed out uh, that the suppression of the Hunter Biden story on the New York Post was critical to Joe Biden's success. They think he won the election. We'll see if he actually won the election. But if he did, crucial to his success. According to Biden campaign metrics, online chatter about the Hunter Biden story during the elections last week was greater than it was around Hillary Clinton's emails during the last month of 2016. But what's the difference? If that was so much bigger, then why did the media think that Biden won the election? Quote, it never spilled over into mainstream outlets. He's bragging about this. A journalist is bragging about this, that the media who are supposed to report, uh, speak truth to power, regardless of who's in power, even though Chris Cuomo admitted that's not what they do, they ignored the story. They suppressed the story so that more people wouldn't see it. I think if you ask people who are very online, like you and me, if you ask people who listen to a lot of political podcasts, read a lot of political writing, then sure, they all knew about the Hunter Biden story. Beyond that though, there are a lot of people who don't spend a lot of time on Twitter, who don't listen to a lot of political podcasts. They probably never heard of it. And the Biden campaign apparently believes that that was a huge issue. Is Donald Trump really in power? I mean, I get, you know, he, he has the presidency. He had the Congress for a couple of years. They still have the Senate. Okay, that's good. That's something you can get some judges through. But who's really ruling the country? The bureaucracy, tech, the media. There was a tech hearing yesterday. Gets my blood boiling. The Hollywood, the mainstream media, the higher education system, the lower education system, all these different systems totally dominated by the left. And so they can manipulate whatever you, you, they manipulate the election. The Biden campaign even isn't now apparently admitting that they manipulated the election to their benefit. And then there's no consequence from it. Sure, they can pretend they pay lip service to it. Just yesterday, Jack Dorsey goes to Capitol Hill. He's testifying on big tech suppression and he owns it. He says, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Absolutely my bad. We shouldn't have suppressed the story. Thank you to the members of the Judiciary Committee for the opportunity to speak with the American people about Twitter and your concerns around censorship and suppression of a specific news article, and generally what we saw in the 2020 U.S. elections conversation. We were called here today because of an enforcement decision we made against the New York Post based on a policy we created in 2018 to prevent Twitter from being used to spread hacked materials. This resulted in us blocking people from sharing a New York Post article publicly or privately. We made a quick interpretation using no other evidence that the materials in the article were obtained through hacking and according to our policy, we blocked them from being spread. Upon further consideration, we admitted this action was wrong and corrected it within 24 hours. We informed the New York Post of our error and policy update and how to unlock their account by deleting the original violating tweet, which freed them to tweet the exact same content and news article again. They chose not to, instead insisting we reverse our enforcement action. This sociopath, <laughs> I love, I'm noticing these guys are really, they're letting their guard down. All these 
liberal elites on their blatant sociopathy recently. Jack Dorsey comes and goes, I'm really sorry. Yeah, that, that thing we did where we suppressed that really important news story. Yes, yeah, sorry. Oh, it swung the election. Yeah. Hey, guys, my bad. My, we good? Are we good? I know. Yeah, you think, I mean, we're saying now that Joe Biden won and uh, yeah, we're probably responsible for that because we threw the election. You know, we shouldn't have done that. We won't do it again. Wink. What's, where's the punishment? Where's the consequence for his actions? And then he has the gall, the unmitigated gall to blame the New York Post. He says, look, you know that story that was blowing up that everyone was trying to retweet and you couldn't do it, you couldn't send it anywhere? And then we took the New York Post's account down, the oldest continually published daily newspaper in the country founded by Alexander Hamilton. You know, we took the account down and we admitted it was all wrong. So we just told them, just delete the tweet. I know we said the tweet's not wrong, but just delete it. Just delete that tweet. And they didn't want to do it. So it's kind of their fault. But yeah, we're sorry. See you next time. See you in four years. Can't wait to suppress all your stories again. No consequences whatsoever. That's an apology. And believe it or not, Jack Dorsey's apology was, was positively sincere compared to the apology of Mussolini, of Gavin Newsom in California. You know, I have to tell you, you can tell my set is different if you're watching this show right now. I am out of California. I am in beautiful Tennessee. I am breathing the sweet air of freedom. It's very, very nice. I miss my friends and that's it. Okay. I, I do not miss California. Not at all. I can rest easy every night knowing that I am in a free place. The other reason I rest easy at night is because I have my pillow. You know, Mike Lindell, Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, a conservative leader in his own right. Uh, he's a great businessman, has a great understanding of, of the country. This guy makes great stuff. Okay. My pillow pillows won't go flat. I actually thought this before I tried my pillow pillows. I thought, look, I like Mike Lindell. I'm going to use his product anyway, just to kind of support him. He's a, such a cool guy. Who knows if the product's good or not? So I try it out. It's the best pillow I ever used. The sheets are so soft. They're unbelievable. The pillows won't go flat, by the way. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want. They maintain their shape. Best of all, they're made in the USA. Not, not too many places can say that these days. If you don't have a MyPillow or know someone who doesn't, now is the time. Because for a limited time, Mike is offering his premium MyPillows for his lowest price ever. You get a queen-size premium MyPillow that's regularly $70, $69.98. You can get it for only $29.98. It is a $40 savings. Uh, kings are only $5 more. I have the king. It's great. Not only are you getting the lowest price ever, but they are the best Christmas gifts ever. Go do it. Buy now. Mike will extend his 60-day money-back guarantee to March 1st, 2021. Go to MyPillow.com. Click the radio listener square. There you will find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all the MyPillow products, the Giza Dream Sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. Or call 800-651-1148 and use promo code DAILYWIRE. You thought Dorsey was bad. Wait until you hear Gavin Newsom's apology. So you remember Gavin Newsom. We, we covered this on the show. Maybe yesterday, Gavin Newsom broke his own mandates. He broke his own lockdown rules. He told everyone, you can't go out, you can't go to restaurants, wear the mask all the time. He shows up to his buddy's birthday party at French Laundry, which is an extraordinarily expensive Michelin-rated restaurant. Something like $350 or $400 a plate. I looked, if you want to add the ricotta gnocchi, the little, a little dish of ricotta gnocchi, it's like a $150 upcharge. 
Okay. It is, uh, uh, it's a nice restaurant. And Gavin Newsom didn't want to miss out on this party. So he goes and he thought the cameras were off and he got caught. Just like so many leftists have. Nancy Pelosi goes and gets her hair cut. All these other guys, Chris Cuomo goes on a run in the Hamptons when he pretends that he's holding up in his basement. And he's going on a run. He's going on a bike ride. He gets into a fight with a guy. They're all just lying to you, all of these people. And then he gets caught and he makes an apology that I was listening very carefully. And for the first almost minute of it, I couldn't discern any actual apology. A few weeks ago, uh, I was asked to go to a friend's 50th birthday. Uh, my wife and I, a friend that I've known for almost 20 years and uh, and a friend that had, well, put a lot of time and energy into his 50th birthday. It was in Napa, which was in the orange status, relatively loose compared to some other counties. Uh, it was to be an outdoor uh, uh, restaurant. And we started the, well, the program started at 4 o'clock. It was one of those early reservations. I got there a little bit late at 4.30. Uh, and as soon as I sat down at uh, the larger table, I realized it was a little larger group uh, than I had anticipated. Uh, and I made a bad mistake. Okay, hold on. There it is. What was the time? What time did you have? I had 44 seconds of excuses before he even started to intimate that he had done anything wrong. Which, by the way, he didn't ultimately say, I, he said, I made a mistake. But it, he didn't make a mistake. He chose to violate his own orders. He chose to be a giant hypocrite. He chose to go to his buddy's birthday party at the really nice restaurant. So it's not a mistake. It's not an accident. Like, whoopsie daisy. Oh no, the French laundry fell down in front of me. I guess I'll eat the ricotta gnocchi. Whoops. Oh no. Oh, my mouth is open and the delicious ricotta gnocchi are falling in. No, you chose to go. And you then give 44 seconds. Look, my friend, we've been friends for a long time. So that, you know, that makes it okay. And look, he put a lot of time and effort into his birthday. Not like your idiot friends. I mean, you're, those, your lazy, stupid friends, they wouldn't. And by the way, your friends couldn't even afford the French laundry. So you don't really, it's just different. You don't really get it. So I got there, I got there a little bit late. You know, I'm pretty busy. I'm the governor and everything. And I saw, look, there are a little, few more people, but it's like, come on, it's my buddy's birthday and I want to do it. And I'm I'm the ruler of California, and I don't have to play by the same rules that I make everybody else follow. You know, I made a mistake. So then he explains his mistake. Instead of sitting down, uh, I should have stood up and walked back, got in my car, and drove back uh, to my house. Instead, I chose to sit there with my wife uh, and a number of other couples that were outside the household. And you can quibble about the guidelines, et cetera, et cetera, but the spirit of what I'm preaching all the time uh, was contradicted, and I got to own that. And so I want to apologize to you. Hold it. Stop it. No, so you're not apologizing at all. Because even when you say, I made a mistake, which is not true, it wasn't a mistake, it was very intentional. You say, look, and we get there, and I was sitting there with some people, and look, really, I mean, you could quibble about the guidelines, because like, see, actually, I didn't, I didn't really violate them, I think. I mean, but look, we can, let's, we can quibble, okay? You, you, you can have your view, I can have my view, we'll agree to disagree. No, you can't quibble, buddy. You broke the rules. You had the rules that said you couldn't go to that restaurant with all those many people all together from different households. You, you made those rules and then you broke them. So I'm not going to quibble about anything. You just want to hold your constituents to a completely different standard than you will hold yourself to because you wanted those delicious gnocchi at French Laundry. No quibbling whatsoever. So he says, yeah, I shouldn't look. Okay. And so I apologize. Good. Apologize. Please give me the apology. Are we going to get an apology? I need to preach and practice, not just preach. 
and not practice. And I've done my best to do that. Uh, we're all human. We all fall short sometimes. Uh, we've been out, and I think, for three times since. In fact, I know it's been three times because I remember all of those dinners very, very vividly uh, since February, just three times. Uh, twice with my wife by myself outdoors, and then this one occasion uh, with a larger group. And there were just a few extra people there uh, than the spirit of what I am promoting. Oh, it's not even an apology. You're just trying to get ahead of the story that's inevitably going to come out that you've broken your own guidelines other times as well. That's what this is about. He goes, yeah, and look, okay, I did it. I made a mistake. I have to, I have probably, I've done it a couple other times too. Um, what was that, Governor Newsom? No, yeah, no, it's really, I know, I'm going to keep smiling and it's all, a, look, it's kind of a big misunderstanding, but yeah, for a while now, I've been disregarding the rules that I'm making you all follow. And I know that maybe there's a chance some journalist is going to cover this. So, cause the Sacramento Bee's really angry at me. So yeah, I've done it a few times, but look, Hey, you know, everyone makes mistakes. Okay. Can we move on? Can we move past this please? Ha ha ha. And I think I still am waiting for the, the real apology to come in. And he just closes his message to the people smiling. And so if we're going to minimize mixing, you got you to own up to that. So uh, I just want folks to know that. Paid for our dinner. Uh, and we, uh, you know, we had an early dinner, but it didn't matter. Uh, I shouldn't have been there. I should have turned back around. And uh, so when that happens, you got to you pay the price, but you also own the mistake and you don't ever make it again. And you have my word on that. And you have my word. Okay. You got to pay the price. I obviously I don't, I'm not going to pay any price and I'm not even really admitting I did anything wrong. It was an early dinner. You know, it wasn't a late dinner and I paid my way by the way. Hey, if any of you ethics researchers are looking into this. I paid for my dinner, even though there were, there were definitely lobbyists there. But uh, anyway, it's all a big misunderstanding. You got to take ownership, which I will never, ever do. I'm Governor Newsom. Goodbye. Does he look sorry? Does he sound sorry to you? No, not at all. Did Chris Cuomo sound sorry? No, he didn't sound sorry at all. When he lied about quarantining with coronavirus, and he didn't actually quarantine, he went outside and then he lied about it. And then he filmed this whole ridiculous charade of him coming out of his basement for the first time. He wasn't coming out for the first time in weeks and seeing his family. He had been out and about on Long Island, so much so that he got into a fight with a guy on the street. Nancy Pelosi. Did Nancy Pelosi apologize when she got caught going to that hairdresser without a mask in violation of the lockdown orders? No. She actually blamed the hairdresser. <laughs> Do you remember that? I said, oh, this was a setup. I shouldn't have gone. I can't believe she did that to me. No, lady, you broke your own rules. What do you mean her fault? Own up to your mistake. Dr. Fauci, same thing. Even Dr. Fauci, a little less so. It was a little less publicized. How many times did that guy get caught without a mask on? After he told all of us that we have to have our masks on. After he told all of us that none of us can have our masks on. None of these guys pay a price for any of it. Why? Because conservatives are not ruling the country. Even when it's Trump, even when the Republicans have both houses of Congress and the presidency, conservatives are not ruling this country ever. The left rules this country. You know, just, just the social media example alone. I don't even want to talk too much about this social media issue because I feel nothing comes of these, of these hearings. But during this hearing, the left Democrats, Maisie Hirono in particular, Democratic Senator from Hawaii, had the audacity to say, social media, they're not, they're not biased against conservatives. Actually, actually, in, in many ways, they're biased in favor of conservatives. Mr. Zuckerberg, for the second time in three weeks, you've been called before the Senate committee so my Republican colleagues can 
beat you up over claims that your platforms are supposedly biased against conservatives. The fact of the matter is that these allegations are completely baseless. Everyone who has systematically looked at the content of social media, from Media Matters to the Cato Institute to former Republican Senator John Kyle, has found absolutely no evidence of anti-conservative bias. No evidence whatsoever of anti-conservative bias. And what's my source? Oh, um, Media Matters, <laughs> a far left radical activist organization that is watching my show right now. That there's a guy, he's, I, I actually, I have great affection for this guy. He watches, he's like the number one fan of the show. He watches my show every single day, my friend Jason Campbell. And then whenever he can get like a good clip and try to sort of make it seem like I said something wrong, he will break it out. They'll do it and they'll try to get conservatives fired. That's what the organization exists to do. It is a radical left organization. And Maisie Hirono is citing this organization as though they're unbiased fact checkers. And that's what they all do. You know, some are a little subtler about it than, than Media Matters. At le- you know, Media Matters, to their credit, at, at least they generally acknowledge that they're very far left wing. But, but other fact checking websites that always, uh, almost all the time seem to cut against conservatives and twist what conservatives are saying and defend what liberals are saying and bend over backwards to try to rewrite what the liberals are saying to defend it. PolitiFact, I'm thinking of, Snopes even, uh, other organizations that fact check for, for big, big tech. Those groups will suppress a story. Those groups, according reportedly to the Biden campaign, can throw a presidential election. That's real power. That's real power. And the truth doesn't really matter. And then they have the goal to come to you and say that conservatives don't care about the truth. Barack Obama was just talking about this the other day. You know, I really, it drives me crazy to listen to him slander conservatives in this way. But if I do have to listen, I at least want to listen on my Raycons, you know, because the Raycons sound really great. Today, you can save on a big, wonderful gift that your friends will use every single day. Raycon wireless earbuds with seamless Bluetooth pairing and a comfortable noise isolating fit, you can start listening right away and keep listening for hours. The audio quality is phenomenal, comparable to what you would get from other premium brands, except Raycons start at half the price. You know, I, I've tried out the other ones, and I, st- I still do, just to see, okay, is it, are Raycons still, uh, you know, putting out a superior product here, or the other ones, maybe the more uh, expensive ones that you're thinking of, are they... The Raycons are a superior product. There's just no question about it. This holiday season, get your friends and family something that they can use for calls or for music, for work or for play at home or on the go. Pick up a pair for yourself. You are going to use them every day. They are really, really excellent. And you'll save some money doing it. Go to buyraycon.com slash Knowles today to unlock exclusive deals up to 20% off your Raycon order. Hurry. This offer is available only for a limited time and you do not want to miss it. That is buyraycon.com slash Knowles, Canada, W-L-E-S to unlock up to 20% off your Raycons by Raycon.com slash Knowles. Barack Obama says that there is a truth decay in this country, that, that Republicans and conservatives, and Trump in particular, are overthrowing all these wonderful norms in our republic. We have gone through a presidency that disregarded a whole host of basic institutional norms, uh, expectations we have for a president that uh, 
have been observed by Republicans and Democrats uh, previously. Uh, and maybe most importantly, uh, and, and uh, most disconcertingly, what we've seen is what some people call truth decay, <laughs> something that's been accelerated by outgoing President Trump, the sense that not only do we not have to tell the truth, but the truth doesn't even matter. Pause right there. Obviously, the, the hypocrisy is, is manifest. Uh, talking about overturning norms and things like that, talking about truth doesn't matter. Barack Obama, actually one time when PolitiFact did attack the left, PolitiFact pointed out that the lie of the year was Barack Obama who said, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. And then when he got caught in that lie, he said, what? You didn't think you were going to get all that insurance for free, did you? Totally cynical view as though the truth didn't matter, just like he says. When he said that if I pushed executive amnesty, that would be unconstitutional. And then what's he do? He pushes executive amnesty, shrugs his shoulders. Yep, truth doesn't really matter. Totally cynical. So obviously there's hypocrisy there. And if we think of the norms being constitutional government, Barack Obama broke a lot of those norms, didn't he? He was, he was legislating with a pen and a phone, as they say. He was uh, flagrantly violating the law. He was subverting the executive agencies for his political purposes, attacking his political enemies through the IRS and the DOJ. Okay. Spying on the Trump campaign. However, I actually want to defend what Barack Obama is saying here. I think he actually is making a good point. It's a scary point, but it's a good point. Donald Trump has overturned norms, not the constitutional norms. Those were overturned long ago. Donald Trump is overturning the norms of the liberal order, the progressive administrative state, which grows exponentially, which uh, makes the laws without any accountability to the people, which continues to move leftward without any real resistance whatsoever. Yeah, but politicians in both parties allowed this to happen. Democrats and Republicans. Bushes and Clintons and Obamas allowed this to happen. Sure, you can tinker around the edges of policy, but you better keep expanding globalized trade and you better keep outsourcing jobs and you better keep the borders open and you better keep flooding the country with mass migration and you better keep lowering wages and you better keep moving to the left and you better not put up any real resistance against the flood of social radicalism that has redefined the fundamental political institutions in the country. Better not do any of that. And if you are going to even intimate that you'll do that, you better roll over and lose like a good Republican, like Mitt Romney. You better not answer the media like George W. Bush. Yeah, that's true. There, were, there was this norm. There, were, there was this consensus. And it was a rotten norm. And it was a rotten consensus. And it was terrible for the country. And Trump, whatever flaws you think he has, cracked that a little bit. It's very good to break up those norms. If you've got constitutional norms and then progressive norms, and those are at odds, it's good to break up the progressive norms. That's some truth. But for Barack Obama, he talks about the truth decay. Barack Obama is one of the most cynical presidents in American history, one of the least concerned about the truth in American history. But for him, when, he's, when he's even talking about the truth, what is he talking about? He's talking about a progressive view of history, where we're hurtling toward utopia, where you're on the right side of history. That's his view of the truth, not objective truth, the way that you and I would talk about it, but ideological truth, truth within the system, political correctness, political correctness, which is, it sounds similar to truth, but it's not. It's actually opposed to truth. Absolutely, we need to break that. According to those liberal norms, conservatives lose everything in culture and politics. Great example of this, great example of the rottenness of the liberal consensus just came to us. It has to do with love, marriage, and divorce. 
you know, marriages do not stick around forever necessarily. One thing though that will never completely lose value would be a physical gold. It's a little bit of a rough segue, but I think the point is still valid. Physical gold, it's very important to have. I love investing in uh, precious metals, but here's something new. So you know that the price of gold has been skyrocketing lately. There, there however, is this problem, which is gold is expensive. Probably we don't have like lots of money lying around to just start buying gold bars left and right. This is where Acre comes in. This new company, Acre, lets you subscribe to gold bars for as little as $30 a month. Michael, how can you do that? Gold, gold costs more than $30 a bar. Yeah, it costs a lot more than that. However, Acre's figured out this way where you pay each month and then once your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars, they will discreetly ship Acre Gold to your house. Acre lets you invest in physical gold without coming out of pocket all at once. Acre keeps you updated on your gold stash every month, ships once you reach the price threshold. With Acre, taking physical delivery of your gold means that it is safe and sound and in your hands. Acre just recently introduced their new $100 per month subscription for their five gram gold bar. I've always enjoyed investing in precious metals. Go to getacregold.com slash Knowles, N-O-W-L-E-S. Start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to this URL because Acre, by the way, is giving away a free gold bar. That'd be nice to have. To qualify for the giveaway, tweet or post why you should be the recipient and mention at get underscore Acre. So the at sign, get underscore Acre. And tell them why you deserve a free gold bar. Getacregold.com slash Knowles. Thank you, Acre Gold, for supporting the show. We've got some very misleading headlines. I know you'll be shocked to hear that from the mainstream media, but it actually shows you the, the problem, the problem of framing, the problem of the real truth decay, the problem of our real liberal rulers. Speaking of our liberal rulers, the YouTube overlords, it turns out, are not huge fans of my content. So be sure to ring the bell and subscribe to The Michael Knowles Show on YouTube. I've gotten messages from people who say, Michael, I did subscribe, and then somehow I got unsubscribed. Yeah, we've been hearing that a lot. Just go, even if you think you've subscribed, go check it out. We don't like these shenanigans. The big tech is already admitting they throw presidential elections through their shenanigans. Then they say, whoopsie daisy, my mistake, no consequences at all. So check it out while we're still here. Uh, We have a ton of new content coming out. Uh, You will not want to miss it. Head on over. Then go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. You want the good news or the bad news? You want, let's start with the good news. Good news is the divorce rate in America is at a 50-year low. Gosh, isn't that great? The divorce rate is at a 50-year low. I guess things are going pretty well. I mean, we were, I was worried about family breakdown, social breakdown. You know, there were all those riots and things in the streets. It seems like a lot of kids are growing up in these broken homes and a lot of kids born out of wedlock. I mean, I, I have looked at all those statistics, but I'm being told that the divorce rate is at a 50-year low. That's great. There were even some kind of liberal conservatives, you know, the squishy conservative types who said, oh, this is so good. I'm so glad the divorce rate's low. Okay. That's what you want to know the bad news? Marriage rates are at an all-time low. They are as low as they have ever been since we've been recording those numbers. Oh, that's okay. I'm glad the divorce rate's low, but it's like that, it's like that brilliant, you know, that brilliant guy meme where you say, well, if you, you kind of tap your forehead, you say, if you don't get married, you can't get divorced. I'm a very smart person. There's the trick. No, I don't care if the divorce rate is at a 50 year low. If no one's getting married, if the, if the marriage rate is lower somehow, if it's falling more precipitously, then that's, that's bad news. 
got to get married. There are a lot of these statistics that we're told are evidence that the liberal consensus, you know, the kind of Obama, Clinton, Bush, just liberal, neoliberalism, the kind of left liberalism, right liberalism, you know, it's all, it's all good. The uniparty, some people call it, that is so great, you know, and and some examples of this are people are living longer, uh, which is somewhat true, though actually the life expectancy declined in the United States uh, during the end of the Obama administration, kind of moving into 2016, that time. It, It declined. Why? Because people were killing themselves with, well, with guns and other means of suicide and also with drug overdoses. Okay, but generally, okay, people are living a little bit longer. It's relatively peaceful, I guess. I mean, America's been at war for, uh, oh yeah, like my entire lifetime, but I guess it's relatively peaceful. They're kind of wars of empire over in the Middle East and in a lot of the wars, you don't really know why we're there. Libya, why do we go to Libya? Why did Obama start that war in Libya? Okay, that's another norm that Trump broke. For my lifetime, every president started a war except for Trump. Trump pulled us out of wars. That's a norm. That's too bad. It's awful that he's breaking those norms. This liberal consensus that that the system sells to you all the time, the permissive state doing whatever you want, the the, uh, administrative state, the the way that we are governed, the the empire wars abroad, the the outsourcing, the mass migration, we are in the midst of a constant propaganda flood telling us why that's so great. And you've got to look past it because all the headlines say, something to the effect of, the equivalent of the divorce rate has fallen. But what you got to look at and realize, oh, yeah, marriage has fallen as well. Even as people, let's say people have a little bit more money, fine. But if they're killing themselves at higher rates, if they're overdosing on drugs at higher rates, something's gone rotten. The West has lost its soul. You know, I'm reading this, this book now by Whitaker Chambers, who was an ex-communist and he became a Christian. This was one of the books that changed Ronald Reagan's life. It's a very, very important book in American conservative politics. And he points out that it it did make sense. There is a reason that the intellectuals were all communists, and especially in the 30s and 40s. Why were they all communists? Because they recognized that something really was rotten in modernity. And they obviously came to a much more rotten answer, which was communism. But they were taking seriously these problems of history, these social problems that had come out of modernity. And we're still, if communism obviously was failed, to use their terms, it was on, it's on, now on the dustbin of history, but on the ash heap of history. But the problems remain. Problems remain. According to these norms, this was a, this election was great. You got to stay home, right? There's no fraud. There's no fraud whatsoever. That's great. You can mail in your ballot. We're getting evidence of voter fraud every single day, not just in Pennsylvania, not just in Georgia, not just in Michigan, California even, California. And, I, and this is some, some voter fraud where I saw something like this. I don't know if, if th- this instance in particular was fraud but the, the mechanism by which these, these democratic operatives were working clearly was the same mechanism by which fraud could be committed. Two individuals in California have been charged with multiple counts of voter fraud after submitting fraudulent voter registration applications on behalf of homeless people. This is according to the LA County District Attorney's Office. Carlos Antonio de Bourbon Montenegro, what a name, and Marcos Raul Aravalo were charged in a 41 count criminal complaint filed last week. These are not little kids, by the way. These are not, you know, some 18 year old activist hired by the Democratic Party. This is a 53 year old guy and a 34 year old guy. These are older people, more established people. And what they would do is they'd go around to the homeless camps that have proliferated all around Los Angeles, even in the nice neighborhoods. They're all over the place, shanty towns and full parks because of the failed governors and the failed mayors there. And they would go and they would 
get all these guys to register to vote. Do, do you think these homeless guys necessarily wanted to go register to vote? Do you think they were looking, where can I exercise my right? No, I think a lot of them were extraordinarily strung out on drugs. A lot of them have a lot of mental problems. A lot of them are, they're living on the street because they're not capable of living on their own. And there's nothing compassionate, therefore, about letting them live on the street. No one's trying to get them help. These left-wing operatives are not going out there and saying, hey, come, come into my house. Hey, let's get you to a psychiatric hospital. Hey, let, no, they're not doing any of that. They're saying, hey, you, I can exploit you for a vote. That's what we're going to do. And they did that. Montenegro, what a name. That guy, uh, what's his full name? Carlos Antonio de Bourbon Montenegro. It's like a movie villain. It's Montenegro. He submitted over 8,000 fraudulent voter registration applications between July and October of this year. 8,000. When we talk about the scale of election fraud that's possible here in the 2020 election, people say, oh, it's hard to invalidate ballots. Fraud doesn't happen that much. Yeah, we've never had an election like this, ever. We've never had widespread unsolicited mail-in ballots like this. But those are the norms. Democrats go out, they harvest ballots. We know that they do that. We have motor voter laws. The people who are not eligible to vote sneak in. They vote anyway. We know that. They stuff the ballot boxes. I don't know if they did in this election. Maybe they did. We know they have many years past. Those are the norms. And then they win. And now with universal mail-ins, they're going to keep counting the votes until they win in just about every election. Now, when you break those liberal norms, when you go back to more of the constitutional norms, it turns out we win. You can see this in the House races from 2020. According to the Cook Political Report, listed 27 House races as toss-ups. 27. They didn't know which way it was going to go on election night. How many of those do you think Republicans won? What do you think? 10? Maybe, I don't know, we were told it's a blue wave, so they probably should have won zero, right? No? How many did they win? 10, 15, 18, 20? 27. That's how many. They won all of them. The polling firms say, oh, it's a toss-up. It's not a toss-up. Republicans won all of them. They went in and they fought. Burgess Owens. You all know Burgess Owens? He just won a hotly contested race in Utah. He was trailing the incumbent by 11% in final polling. And the nonpartisan Cook political report called it a toss-up. And then he won. This system that we are told that's constantly pumping propaganda to, to support itself is separated from reality. Talk about truth decay. Okay. It's, uh, we were talking yesterday about alternate universes. It is an alternate universe and that is the permanent state. And when it, when a state such as that, when elites such as that become so self-serving, you, you saw it in, in Newsom's apology. You see it in Jack Dorsey's apology. When they're just out helping themselves, disregarding the rules, people start to distrust the system. Actually, regardless of your ideological view, left or right or partisan, you start to see that system cracking up. That is what's happening right now. That's not the people's fault. That's the fault of the people running the system. You don't even need to look in America for this. Macron, the leader of France, pointed this out. He said that the left in America is burying American founding principles, that the norms have been, that the constitutional norms have been broken. The left has, has broken them. Uh, Macron said that the U.S. mainstream media are legitimizing violence and that this is a sign that the nation's founding principles have been lost. And that is true. Of course, that's true. The, the left, the media, and the New York Times in particular, legitimized the violence, the riots, the mostly peaceful protests over the summer, legitimized the arson, legitimized the looting, and they're defending Islamist terror attacks in France. 
They're saying, well, we need to understand it. Why is this happening? Why? They're not, they're not defending the founding principles because they're not governed under those founding principles. Progressives have told us for a hundred years. They think the founding principles are bunk. They think the founding system of government is bunk. They want a new one and they're going to create it. They're kicking great American books out of schools. I kid you not. We were talking yesterday about the book burning at Target, that, that, that you have UC Berkeley professors, English professors, saying that we need to actually burn books that suggest that we shouldn't castrate children and trans the kids. Well, now a uh, California school district in LA County is removing Huckleberry Finn, To Kill a Mockingbird, and Of Mice and Men from their curriculum. Why? They're removing it because they say it's racist or something. They say it's oppressive. They say it's part of an oppressive past. These are some of the greatest works of American literature. Certainly the most important works of American literature for young adults to read. Being removed from the curriculum. We've been predicting this for years. The left told us, oh, you're crazy, you're hysterical. It's happening. Why is it happening? In part, it's happening because the left, or because the right, rather, refuses to articulate a standard. When, when we hear the media talking about the erosion of norms and standards, when we hear about political correctness, which poses a new standard, the right gets backed into a corner where we say, hey, I'm against censorship. I'm for free speech. We use bumper stickers and slogans, but we fail to articulate a standard ourselves. We want to be inclusive. So we say, oh, no, you can add your books to the curriculum. You can wear whatever you want to wear. The men can wear dresses, whatever, but we just want to have our books too. The problem with this is it's not, it doesn't persuade anybody. And in the case of education, education is by definition coercive and exclusive. There's only so many weeks in the semester. There's only, only so many books you can read. And if you start adding in some crazy gender theory book or some crazy Ibram Kendi book about it, you know, how awful white people are and we're a white supremacist country or whatever, you have to remove a book. And the, the process you're seeing playing out in these schools is, okay, we're going to remove Huck Finn. We're going to remove To Kill a Mockingbird. We're going to remove Of Mice and Men. It has nothing to do with the intrinsic quality of these books, all of which are much better than anything Ibram Kendi has ever thought or said in his entire life. But it's because those books uphold a certain standard and a certain culture, and they come in a certain Western tradition. And the left wants to get rid of that. We need to offer a standard. We need to say, no, you can't add your stupid book. Your, your, your book of lower quality cannot come into the curriculum because it will make our kids dumber. And we need to have good books in the curriculum. And we should only teach good books and not bad books because there's only so much time and I want my kids to be smart. And I want your kids to be smart. And so we got to read the, the good books that make you smart. Getting back to that point yesterday, Candace's point about men wearing dresses, Harry Styles. We need to be able to say, no, men shouldn't wear dresses. When men do wear dresses, you know, uh, pe people kept posting this image of Rudy Giuliani. He went on Saturday Night Live one time and he wore drag. And D Donald Trump was actually in the sketch. They say, what? You didn't attack Rudy Giuliani. No, Rudy Giuliani was putting on a comedic performance. Rudy Giuliani was not saying it is perfectly normal for a man to wear a dress. He was saying the opposite. He was saying it's completely absurd for a man to wear a dress. That's why it's a comedic performance. That's why drag is funny. It's funny because it's wrong. Some people wrote in yesterday, said, Michael, drag's not funny at all. It's wrong. It's an abomination. Sure, I guess. Right. But that's, the, that's why it's funny. Dark, there, is, there is such a thing as dark humor. There is such a thing. Incongruity is necessarily wrong, right? But it's, that's why it's funny. It's because it doesn't balance. It doesn't make sense. It isn't quite right. Conservatives need to be able to say, no, hey, men, don't wear dresses. But come on, it doesn't bother you. It doesn't affect your culture. Yes, it does. 
Don't wear dresses. Conservatives, frankly, need to be able to say, don't wear the mask. Only in narrow, narrow, narrow circumstances should you wear the mask, or maybe not even then. Now, but, but you could say, well, Michael, no, look, I'm a conservative. I just want people to, if you want to wear the mask, you can. And if you want to wear a dress, you can. And if you want to take To Kill a Mockingbird off your, off your curriculum, you can. And it's all, we can all just do whatever we want. No, we can't. People ask me this all the time since I've been on this hobby horse about the virus since the beginning. They say, ah, you know, Michael, why do the masks have to be political? Or they'll say it about the dresses with Candace. Why, why does a man wearing a dress, he's an actor or something, he's a singer, He's wearing a dress. Who cares? Why, why does that have to be political? The reason it has to be political is because masks, public masking, everybody in America just wearing masks like banditos across their face, that is a public matter. And public matters are by definition political. That's just what political means. It just means public, what we all do in public together. Men wearing dresses, why does that have to be political? Because it's happening in public. And that is therefore political. And it affects the culture. It affects the way we view ourselves. It affects the norms of society. Every society is going to have some norms. And the left has clobbered the norms. They've transformed the norms. And conservatives don't have the spine to go out and say, no, actually, we should, I think we should have other standards. I think we should, we should do, I think we should have, we should have a curriculum in schools, but it should have good books, not bad books. I do think men should wear clothing, but they should wear good clothing, not bad clothing. Appropriate clothing, not inappropriate clothing. We should use language. We should use good, respectful, serious, concise, precise language, not euphemistic, dishonest language like political correctness. We should have media platforms, but they should tell the truth. They shouldn't tell lies. We should have technology platforms that allow you to communicate. Don't suppress communication. Have a standard. Before we go, I have to get to this one book. We were talking about books. I can't. I've read the book review of Barack Obama's new memoir. This is called A Promised Land. Barack Obama, A Promised Land. This is his third memoir, his third book about his favorite subject. He wrote his first memoir, I think in his 20s. He wrote his next memoir, what, in his 30s? Now he's got a third memoir, third book about his favorite subject. Here's the book review in the New York Times, A Promised Land by Barack Obama. Barack Obama is as fine a writer as they come. If I were Twitter right now, I would say this, this claim is disputed. (laughs) Fact check, (laughs) warning, (laughs) do not. Barack Obama is as fine a writer as they come. Uh, No. His first book actually was, was fairly well written, but uh, who knows? Did he write that book? Who knows? Uh, There are always rumors. Did he hire a ghostwriter? Did, I don't know. Maybe he wrote the book. Okay. Even if he did write that book, there are finer writers. It is not merely that this book avoids being ponderous as might be expected, even forgiven, of a hefty memoir, but that it is nearly always pleasurable to read, sentence by sentence, the prose gorgeous in places, the detail granular and vivid. The book is like 750 pages, and I imagine the one true thing in this sentence is the book is probably not as ponderous as this pretentious and ridiculous review. From Southeast Asia to a forgotten school in South Carolina, he evokes the sense of place with a light but sure hand. This is the first of two volumes. <laughs> okay, well, that's going to be a long one. Starts early in his life, charting his initial political campaigns. Blah, blah, blah. His focus is more political than personal. But when he does write about his family, it is with a beauty close to nostalgia. Okay, I can't, I can't even read anymore. This is a New York Times review by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who is the author of We Should All Be Feminists and a Feminist Manifesto and 15 Suggestions. 
Uh, I mean, uh, something. T- I haven't read the book yet, so I don't want to judge it. I, something tells me it's not one of the great books. But this is, this is the standard, right? This is the standard that the, the media are going to judge by. This is what we are told is good. All cultures have some sense of the good. They have something to, that they are aiming toward. They have things that they exalt. They have things that they hold sacred. You know, we were, t- we were told the other day that America worships whiteness by that crazy Senate, Senate candidate in Georgia. And that, of course, is not true. Actually, we only have one taboo word in America, and the taboo word is not cracker or honky, right? It's, the N, it's not the C word or the H word. It's the N word. We actually take these racial matters very seriously in America, and we have a sort of sacred taboo in, in favor of, you know, being kind and welcoming and inclusive toward historically oppressed groups and racial minorities. Okay. There, there is a, a cultural taboo. What are we pointing toward as good? What we're pointing toward as good here is liberalism, progressivism, leftism. Those are the books we have to read. You got to kick out the traditional books. We're told it's good to dress in a way that is progressive and transgressive, not traditional and conservative. If conservatives do not grow a spine and articulate their own standards, we are going to continue down this path and we will have norms and we will have normalcy. And the left might even stop rioting if they get their way in elections, however they get their way. And the media will start being nice because they change their coverage based on who they're covering. And we will continue to have this permanent state, this uniparty that allows our country to degrade and degrade and degrade and decay until we've lost it completely. So we have to keep fighting. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. And production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. Listen.